The Coaching You Podcast is presented by Huddle Basketball and Huddle Assist, your best solution to capture and analyze every aspect of the game from the first tip to the final buzzer. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You Podcast presented by Huddle and Huddle Assist. This is the coach, Brendan, sir, and I am so excited today. It's our 200th episode of doing Coaching You Podcasts, and boy, a lot has happened over the years, and you know, and I, I think today, uh, my partner, Zach Kendrick, and I, we, we wanted to do something we've tossed around for a month, different ideas, special guests, things like that, and you know what we wanted to do, we, we the people that this podcast was created for are you, the listeners, so we reached out. And we asked if you had questions, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to go rapid fire through a ton of questions that you had that you want answers to, or my opinion to, uh, you know. Now, and I think it's really important because right now we're pre Christmas. Uh, unfortunately, our country, the U.S., is in really really tough straits with the pandemic, but hopefully we're on a path. Uh, you know, taking the first steps to recovery so that we can all get back to, and from a basketball standpoint and a school standpoint, but back to a semblance of going towards normal. So I think, you know, I think this will be hopefully some relief and a fun hour for you that we'll talk about a lot of things that you like and I like to do. And uh, and so after this quick timeout, we'll be right back with what we think will be an interesting addition to our Coaching You podcast. We're thrilled to have our longtime partners and friends at Dr. Dish Basketball on board as sponsors of the Coaching You podcast. Dr. Dish machines are undoubtedly the most user-friendly and advanced machines in the world of basketball today. Dr. Dish has completely revolutionized and reimagined the shooting machine to provide the best solution on the market. Join top programs around the world like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, and countless others, and upgrade your shooting machine to Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish machines are the best way to increase purposeful reps in your program to get players better, faster, while tracking progress along the way. Dr. Dish provides so much more than just your standard shooting machines with custom training, pro trainers, and coaches on demand, real-time and detailed analytics, and top-of-the-line drills and workouts. If you're looking to take your program to the next level, look no further than Dr. Dish for the best basketball training machine in the world. If you have an old machine that's just collecting dust in your gym, did you know that you can trade that into Dr. Dish for up to $1,500 off and get a new dish? Make sure to give our friends at Dr. Dish a follow at Dr. Dish B-Ball on Twitter and Instagram for great daily drills, workouts, tips, and inspiration. Or contact us at drdishbasketball.com. Don't forget to mention Coaching You or our podcast for $300 off your purchase. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And assist is more than just a box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like the line, like lineup data, VPS, and of course effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more 
with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's H-U-D-L dot com slash assist to learn more. All right, now let me introduce uh, our partner, Zach Kendrick, is going to ask the questions that you people sent in, and then I'll give you my uh, honest, as always, response, and uh, nothing, Zach, is going to be held back. I'm not going to worry about offending anyone or anything like that, because you know what? Not coaching anymore. I, frankly, it's it's a, it's a blessing right now. Yeah, I don't know if you were ever worried about that to begin with, let's <laughs> yeah. be honest. No, as they say, when you get older... And you, and then you don't have to worry about getting another job. You're you're home free now, <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, first of all, let's thank everybody for sending all the DMs on Twitter and the other questions that they suggested to you. So we've got a long list. So I guess we can go ahead and get started. Okay, let's go. Uh, the first one that we got was several people were asking what your thoughts were on the way that the NCAA and the conferences around the country were handling the pandemic. Well, I don't want Nate Oates to attack me, so I, but I will give you almost the same answer as my buddy Coach K did. And uh, I, I've been in all the college coaches. As you know, we talk to so many coaches for a variety of reasons uh, daily. And uh, for the last two months, I've been very, very concerned about it because I didn't, you know, basically being living in Louisiana and Florida – uh, you know, uh, I see how those two states were, but also, you know, you know, we we got cable TV, so we can also see how the rest of the country is doing, and so uh, it's been it's been really bad, and obviously getting worse the last few weeks, and so I just don't know if with what's going on, if it's the right thing to do as an educator, as a teacher, as a parent, to be playing sports now. That's the only thing, I. Obviously, love the idea of kids participating, kids being part of a team, all that. But I'm really worried. I really worry about it. And I just hope that, uh, you know, people, coaches, and everyone get safe. But I think we can see from football and basketball the number of games that are canceled. They're trying to do a good job by testing and everything like that. But I am very, very concerned. For sure. I mean, your buddy Jay Billis, he was kind of out in front on a lot of this. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, Jay, Jay's my mentor as far as he's just the best thought leader on any damn subject. I just love him. And it doesn't matter what I ask him. He, that son of a gun. Uh, he, he seems to always have the right answer, and I love it. And uh, he's, he also went to my school of learning where we don't hold back. And so, I, you know, Jeezy University. And so, uh, you know, I think you've got to go to work. <laughs> so i got to go to work right now. So let's get started. <laughs> Who are some of your favorite guests on the first 200 episodes of the podcast? Wow. I, you know, I, I looked back at our list the other day, and, you know, Jay, we've had Jay on several times, but also we have him on every year. We just finished up for the draft. Uh, he's so freaking smart. I just love him. Uh, you know, obviously we'll talk later probably about John Gordon. You know, we we do something with him with all of his books, but he's just so brilliant. Uh, the, you know, the coaches that we have are have just been incredible. You know, one of my favorite young coaches, Bob Ritchie from Furman, uh, you know, is is so good. But I loved Tony Dungy when we had Tony on. He was good. Oh, wow. And uh, Tony, I've known since he was a high school kid. So, you know, 
uh, he, and I've known him over the years and, and watched him just grow into from a, this high school quarterback and, you know, scoring guard to be uh, from Jackson, Michigan, to just become a Hall of Fame coach, uh, but a, better than that, a Hall of Fame parent and person. And so I loved him. I love my captain, Isaiah Thomas, when he came on. He, he's so freaking brilliant. I love him uh, for anything. B.J. Armstrong, who's, you know, I got to coach, and he he's just fantastic. But my one of my favorites, though, was when I and uh, was when I had Billy Donovan on very mm. early on, because Billy, it was really technology. It wasn't like it is today. And I remember I called him up and said, "Billy, I want to do a podcast with you." And I remember he had this, you know, he said, "Brendan, uh, what do I have to wear?" <laughs> <laughs> and I told him nothing. And they, he like was what? And I said, hey, "I don't care if you wear your." underwear i mean it don't matter i can't see you and he didn't know and and it was great and he he's fantastic actually if you go back and you listen to billy you know his podcast is maybe the most brilliant description i've ever heard of coaching you know mm. and uh and uh, you know tony bennett my goodness uh uh, that guy, he's just incredible. His philosophy and things. Uh, Tommy Crean was incredible. Uh, talking about leadership and coaching, Tom is, you know, he's one of the smartest guys out there. And I think one of your favorites and mine is Matt Painter. Painter was phenomenal. I mean, it, that, uh, I just love Matt. And uh, But, you know, we've had so many good ones. I've had guys that played for me. You know, whether, you know, that are in coaching now, like the great Conzo Martin, Damon Stoudemire, you know, who is I'm so proud of, you know, and all these guys that played for me, you know, they never passed the ball. They never guarded anyone. All they did is shoot. Now I watch them and all they do is emphasize defense. I love it. You know, they're, they are fantastic. And, I'm, I, and I, every time they win a game, I get so excited. So it's endless. One of my dearest friends, Donnie Jones, who I just, you know, finished working with at Stetson, he's so brilliant on, on leadership and things. But it's fun to, when I get to talk to a friend because it's a conversation, right. and that's what I really enjoy. No, it makes sense. You mentioned Billy Donovan. Now, that kind of leads to the next question. So there was a lot of movement in the NBA this offseason, very abbreviated offseason, but a ton of movement. Why do you think that there were so many coaching changes? Wow, and I'm really worried about the college season. For some reason, I have a feeling that, and the thing was, I think seven of the nine coaches that got let go were all made the playoffs in the bubble, right. which is absolutely insane. And so here you go, you make the playoffs in a very competitive situation, and then you get let go. Uh, so I think owners, frankly, uh, during this, everyone during this terrible pandemic has tons of anxiety, tons of pressure building up. And a lot of them, I don't think, are thinking very rationally. And uh, and so, you know, some people, sure, I get it. But for this many, I mean, I coached and drafted Doc Rivers. I'm the guy that talks him into co getting into coaching 20-plus years ago. I love this guy. I mean, he is he's a poster boy for what a, a coach should be, the ability to connect to people, the ability to just – he's maybe one of the two or three smartest guys I've ever seen side and under out-of-bounds plays after a timeout, you know. Uh, but more importantly, just – I mean, the moment for me in the bubble, Zach, was 
you know, when, you know, we had, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks say, Kenosha, enough, we're not playing, and the rest of the league down there united and said, no go, we're not going. And Doc Rivers came out on, I don't know, a viral moment, and the things he said where he went to tears, I thought it was maybe one of the greatest things that I've ever seen spontaneously without a teleprompter of a man speaking from his heart. Right. And then you you let this guy go. This is a leader of men, you know. But, you know, as a, as a, you know, people that are believers as you and I are, as well as many of our listeners, he's now in a way better place being in Philadelphia. He's going to coach two great players and a bunch of others, and he's going to knock the ball out of the park. And so, you know, it's meant to be. Well, and he already is because, I mean, to have everything coming out with, you know, some of the players as well as other people in the organization, you know, sadly throwing him kind of under the bus. Yeah, and and he's now become the highest paid coach in the history of sport, of any sport. He is the – and when we signed him with the Atlanta Hawks as a second-round pick – I think I had gave him an eighty thousand non guaranteed contract. That's like what he makes a day now, you know. So I love it. And this guy, you know, he, you know, he told me when he first, um, you know, I met with him during one of our lockouts in '98 in Atlanta. He was doing TV for the Spurs. We went to dinner in Orlando, and I said, Doc, I, I really want to talk you into leaving broadcasting, going into coaching. And he said, Are you? effing crazy i said no you have every skill set that a coach needs and chuck loved him absolutely loved him and uh <laughs> little did i know that you know four months later he would replace chuck and i with the magic so uh but you know what i'm i'm so happy for him um you know that you know i thought he would take a year off but boy when an opportunity co- came to coach you know one of our favorite players ben simmons you can't pass that up, man. No. No. Uh, the next question was, the game is taking you around the world for the competition and scouting. Uh, do you have a favorite city or a country to visit? Well, in let's start first in the U.S. Uh, Chicago has always been one of my favorite places to be, has most phenomenal restaurants. I've always liked going to L.A. Uh, in North America, Toronto. There, I lived there, coached there. And, of course, traveled there. And now when we lived in Detroit, our family used to go there for va- summer vacations. And I love Toronto. It is such a great city. Uh, but around the world, uh, you know, I've been to Ireland, which was really cool for a couple of weeks. And my travel partners were six NBA coaches, like the Jack Ramseys of the world, Chuck Daly. Uh, and traveling them, we actually tried to, we started a pro league in Ireland you know, 35, 40 years ago. And we all bought a team there. And it was just the most phenomenal two weeks we ever had and, and just, you know, toured around. And and uh, it, it was great. But I've been to Russia. I took the Atlanta Hawks there with Mike Fratello to Russia with Dominique Wilkins and Doc Rivers as players. And, uh, and when it was a communist country uh, and uh, David Stern came with us, Ted Turner was my owner uh, of the Hawks, and we owned uh, CNN, was just coming off. And, you know, what we did is that's where the Goodwill Games were started, which was like uh, these Peace Olympics. And, man, oh, man, my son was five years old, and he thought thought Russia was great. (laughs) 
then he, I asked him, man, why did you like Russia? He said, I don't even remember going, Dad. But he had a great time. But it, the people, and I say this about, I've been to, you know, Croatia. All, when Yugoslavia before it divided up into five countries, I've been to Yugoslavia and uh, many of the countries behind the, you know, they called it the Iron Curtain back then, Russia, and of course China. And all three were communist countries at the time. But you know what I found out? There is nothing like the people in those countries. The people are spectacular. The kids, the players. And that's why I believe sport can help get through all the government BS and stuff like that. China is one of my favorite places. I've been there over 15 times. Uh, been there, started going there when Yao Ming was 16. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I love China, love the people there. They just, and, and what I find in Russia, China, you know, what was Yugoslavia, Croatia, Serbia, is they love the U.S. And so that's really the neatest part. Basketball has become, along with football, so- football slash soccer, the game to really bring people together around the world. Well, I'm not going to let you scoot past China. You, you're going to have to go into detail about your story when you took your last tour over. And they may have you, owed you a little bit of money. Yeah. Well, you know, we, I went over and I took uh, my uh, my brother, Dennis Rodman, with me. I took Alan Iverson with me. I had Clyde Drexler with me. And we were on a tour, and I had seven players from the D-League at the time. It wasn't even the G-League. And these were not our very best D-League players. These were very good players. And we went over there to play the Beijing uh, team that had just won their championship by my other players. Stefan Marbury was was, uh, their star. They had just won the championship. We played them three times. We played their Olympic team twice. We played seven total games. And we won all seven games, which is maybe one of my greatest coaching feats, even beyond the bad boys, because it's playing eight against five. You know, those three referees, they, right. they, they come out of there. They, they didn't give us a good they didn't give a good whistle to that home team. They might not have gotten home that night. And so but we had and, 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 and we beat Marbury's team which only two weeks earlier had won the championship three times. It got so bad that Steph wouldn't even play in the last game. And it wasn't Iverson. It wasn't Rodman. It was these D-League players, you know, which is Darnell Lazar, who's on the staff now in New Orleans. He was one of my stars. And it just had a great time. But we go into the last game against their Olympic team, and it's on CCTV, which is ESPN in China. And uh, I have to pay these guys money. And so uh, I have to pay these players, and they owe me $80,000 for this last game. And so guess what? The game is in one hour, and I said, we don't have a suitcase with the money. We're not going to play. And this game is on, like, national TV. It's, like, big deal. And uh, they said, no money. And they always act like they didn't understand English when it came to money. And so all of a sudden, we're not moving and sure enough, you know, like you used to see Zach when uh, when I'd be in arenas like NBA arenas, and they would have a great concert come to the Palace of Auburn Hills or someplace or Madison Square Garden. The guys that were running the concerts, they always had metal attaché cases. I always wondered. I got a, like a cheap leather one, right? And I said, "What? what they, why they had this?" All of a sudden, here comes one of these metal attaché cases. 
And I said, oh, I'd like the case at least. Open that baby up, and there is $85,000 U.S. dollars. I wonder where they got it. And sure enough, that sucker was there. And I said, gentlemen, let's get on the bus. <laughs> so we get on the bus. We get there. And now they're saying, we must play right now. My guys got off the bus. We walked onto the court, and they threw the ball up. There was no pregame. There was no warm-ups. There's nothing. And we were up 26 points at the half. <laughs> and uh, it was, and, and they, they halftime comes. We go in there. Uh, my guys are relaxed pretty good. And I tell them we're all getting paid and everything. They're all well, excited. That's a good thing you got the money first. You got the money. And, uh, and I got that money right next to me on the bench. <laughs> and, and so we go in at halftime. We come out after 15 minutes to play the second half. There ain't another team. They spent 45 minutes in the locker room, and they were – I can only imagine what they were saying to those guys. We came out, and we drilled them in the second half. and uh, But that was that was really – that was fun because who would ever think that that's what you had to worry about on a, on a game like that? Right. For Never sure. had to worry about that in the NBA. <laughs> yeah, <I bet>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Our last one before we go to our first break, uh, our buddy Kevin asks, he says, I'm an avid attendee of coaching you live each year. Yes, yes, you are, Kevin. Uh, after COVID, what's the status for our future clinics and events? Wow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> love that vaccine. Here we go. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. You know, I, I'm really hopeful. You know, uh, over the weekend, I was talking to several people in the NBA, and it looks like, you know, we're going to a July 22nd. The finals will end. Um, praying that immediately within a week, we'll have the draft. Uh, hopefully I'm recommending we start free agency on August 1st and hopefully in that we'll start the summer league about a week after that. So I'm hoping that we'll have the summer league in Las Vegas and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to have a couple of events there that people will really enjoy because I know you and I really missing it. And, uh, you know, and I never thought that that would be something when you start a business that you'd ever worry about being shut down by a pandemic. Didn't even know what that word was, force de majeure. You know, didn't even know what that, because, you know, your French and mine are lacking. But uh, hopefully we'll be back in August in Vegas. Perfect. MindView is an amazing, amazing company that literally is just releasing a platform. They have developed an incredible assessment that we have just totally, totally been blown away with. Because on this assessment that you can take in a matter of 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes on your phone, the things that you've never been able to measure before, like resilience, grit, hope, adaptability, all these things, they are able to measure them as to how you're thinking and feeling right now. This is a game changer as far as I'm concerned. I'm a strength finder guy. I love all that. But MindView is the latest technology. It is just literally coming on the market right now. The platform that they've created is second to none. The emphasis right now on your players' mental wellness is unprecedented. I'm sold on MindView. Now it's your turn. For more information about MindView, M-I-N-D-V-U-E, please contact the COO, Cleet McQuinn. His email is cmcquinn at mindview.com or visit their website at mindview.com. Hey, Zach, let's, uh, let's take some questions maybe about basketball from some of our, our listeners. Yeah, for sure. Um, Ron actually asked, there are several different ideas and approaches from coaches at all levels, but how would you defend pick and rolls? Well, you know, I think a lot of it, Zach, has to do with the level you're at. 
high school coach, college coach, and also it, what is your primary defense? If your primary defense is man-to-man, uh, which the majority of coaches do play, uh, at the high school level, I would simplify it. And I would probably only do maximum of two different ways, you know, to play it. Uh, because uh, the kids that just, I think you can get away with doing it two ways. What And the question always is, and I do actually do a clinic on it, where I say, taking what I've learned in the NBA and now coaching in high school, what would I do with all this knowledge I gained in the NBA? And I have that for everything offense, defense, et cetera. And what I would do is pick and rolls. Frankly, I would trap a lot of pick and rolls and turn that offensive player all of a sudden, put him back on his heels and put two players on him by double teaming him and then having him become a passer. And I don't think the coaches and the players have sophisticated enough schemes that could hurt it like a college team could. And so I, I think that would be kind of fun to do. And the other thing I would probably do is switch. So I'd have two different schemes so I could do things, you know. And I, I think that's just at the at the high school level. At the college level, I think, you know, something that we've been advocating in our clinics for years is to take pick and rolls that happen on the side. You know, anything in the – we break the court up in the thirds. So from the, the lane line to the sideline on each side – is a third, the middle between the, basically between, you know, the two lanes, three feet outside the two lanes, the middle third. And anything on the the outside thirds, we would force to the sideline and to the baseline. And therefore, we take the pick and roll out of the game. And a lot of coaches at the college level don't know what the hell to do. And so that's that's one of the things. In the middle of the court, we we think there's, again, you know, you can, you can trap, Pick and rolls against if a really great score is the guy coming off that pick, uh, then I might trap him just to make him become a passer. Otherwise, uh, normally what we do is we go into a drop where we drop the big man off of the screen and we tell the player guarding the ball to come over. And the last thing is you can just switch it. And I think that's, you know, again, I don't worry too much about college players posting up like I do in the pros. For sure. Let's go to the other side of the ball then. So if you're that offensive team, how would you combat if a team was icing you? Well, if you came to coaching you, Zach, <laughs> you, would, you would understand that. Put me on the list. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the great things about, uh, you know, going to, coming to the event is that, as you know, the faculty there are the very best coaches in the NBA. And so they give you the, the great thing about the NBA coaches I've always loved is they share. They give you an answer to everything. They don't hold anything back because they know that, you know, even if I tell you, you know, our players are so good, they're going to basically be able to do it, uh, that you get beat in the pros by your talent beating the other guy's talent, not by schemes most of the time. And so I think whereas college coaches think that they've, created the next version of an apple watch or something you know and they think that they're a really or a nasa space flight and it really it's not that way it really has to do with players if you got really great players and then you have a good scheme for them and they got them organized you're going to be fine but rarely is there a scheme at the college level that wow you know that you say i've never seen anything like that 
Very rare. Very rare. Now, now all the college guys are pissed off, but I don't care. They don't come to the clinic anyway. <laughs> oh, this is where you said earlier. You've reached <laughs> I, that point. You yes, I don't worry about it. Definitely. <laughs> um, okay, here's here's our favorite, right? Late game situations. You're up three. Are you fouling or not? I am up three points, and I am a college coach. I am fouling for sure. Yeah. I am absolutely fouling for sure. I am not taking – now in the pros, I say – if I am at home and, you know, I might not on the road, I'm definitely a Fallon. Uh, but you know what? I, I I believe in playing analytics and percentages, and it all is in your favor of making them go to the foul line for two shots. Next one. What do you think was the most effective way to double the post? Well, I, I think what we see, you know, a lot of people because of the three-point shot, uh, in college in the NBA, they don't think you should double the post. I totally disagree. Usually that player, you know, is one of the poorest passers on your team. I mean, rarely is that guy just a phenom as a passer. So what we believe in is turning a very good offensive player, put him on his heels, and now all of a sudden make him a passer. Also, we believe that the college coaches and the high school coaches, they don't have a scheme that's going to hurt you. In the pros, when I remember when we used to try to figure out should we double team Elijah on or Kareem, if Kareem was too tall to double team. <laughs> you know, he was just so tall. But Hakeem was different. You know, his size was. You know, you could double him. But they had Rudy Tomjanovich did such a great job of placing his shooters, and if you double team from the top, which would we used to do, he used to have two players. One in the corner on Hakeem's side, one in the wing, and he had a guy like Otis Thorpe or one of those guys or Barkley at the top. And as soon as you went and double teamed from the top, that guy got a layup going to the basket. And if you cut him off, they threw it for a wide open three. And so I think, you know, the placement of guys. So we believe in there's three basic ways that you think we think you can double team. One is when the ball goes into the post, as the ball is traveling in the air, Whoever's at the top, you go and leave on, as the ball's in the air and you double team. You pre-rotate to the nail and to the rim so that we always have what we call an eye on the weak side. Uh, the other one, San Antonio has done a great job of when that ball goes into the post, they don't allow the postman to go, drive the ball to the middle. As soon as he starts to dribble to the middle, we cut him off and we make him spin baseline. And the lowest man on the Spurs that's on the weak side of the court, they don't care if it's a guard, a power forward, he he rotates over and double teams the guy on the spin dribble. If you remember in the last dance, that's when Jordan stole the ball from Carl Malone. Mm -hmm. he, he did that as they came from, you know. And then the, the third way, I think, to do it, and you see this more commonly done now, because teams really are afraid to double team. So when the ball's thrown in the post, Zach, they, they take the ball and they start to bounce it to the middle and they just keep pounding that ball. So we call it digging. So the, the players, when that ball goes in, you sag in. And when that ball is dribbled and the guy gets to the lane line, the nearest man goes and double teams as he's actually dribbling and try to make him a passer off the dribble. So it's three different ways. At the college and the pro level, you better be able to do all three. Coach Matt asks, if you were 
If you were to take over a college or high school program right now, what would your offensive philosophy be? That's a good question because I, I believe one of the things that we we need to do is uh, you need to have more players involved. I'm watching a lot of college ball right now, and all I'm seeing is pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll. No one loves pick and roll more than I do, but it's pretty much a pretty vanilla type of pick and roll, pretty basic stuff. There's not a lot of scheming to it. Uh, I believe you should have a team offense where all five players are passing, cutting, and moving, almost like a continuity offense of some sort where you have cutters go into the basket to get layups, uh, players so that the ball can be swung from side to side. And I think that that is a good way of getting all five players involved. Back in the day when Bob Knight and Dean Smith were coaching, Dean Smith ran a passing game, Bob Knight ran a motion offense. A lot of passing, a lot of cutting, a lot of screening. And I and all five players touched the ball. And I, I think I would have that along with my pick-and-roll game. Well, let's stay right there because I've heard you talk about your defensive philosophy too and what you would do. Do you mind sharing that? Regards to, I'm sorry, at the, at the, at the defensive level, I, I'm, I'm very, very big on, um, you know, that I would press I would press all the time because I think it's one of those things I think all of our us as coaches, we our biggest thing we work on is our man-to-man offense. And so I'm diagramming on my fast model iPad. I'm diagramming all my uh, – I've got 950 plays right now on my iPad. And, uh, you know, and all every one of them works on my fast model diagram. Sure. They're undefeated. and But all of a sudden, if i got to go up and press you either man-to-man – Two two one, Villanova's three two three quarter court press, or Billy Donovan's old on the ball. You know, pass in. We're going to double team you on the catch. Uh, I'm now got you on your heels, and now you don't get to you practice what you do all the time with your team. So I'm going to make you do things to make you uncomfortable. That's my thing. Then I'm going to play a lot of zone. Jim Beheim has been coaching before I was born, okay? And this guy is phenomenal. He is coaching, and God bless him, you know, he never practices. I love Jim. He never practices man-to-man defense. He'll tell the guys in practice, play man-to-man so we can work on our man-to-man offense. But he doesn't tell them how to play man-to-man. He just says, play man-to-man. And and they play pretty good. But it's a 2-3 zone, and you know what? He's been so good when Patino was at, you know, Kentucky, Louisville. He he was a press back into two three matchup zone, and I and I really think it's because I, when I was, you know, I think you know I have in the NBA I had fifty sixty man to man plays in college same thing almost, but you know what I got three four five six zone plays, and you know what most of the time. Very little movement, and that's what I'm going to work on. I'm going to I'm going to really change the game on you. And I love my box of one too. Well, of course, I love you do. my box of one. I, I I think every time we've done that, I I I've never I've as a coach never practiced an offense running a box of you know a box of one offense. So I said, shoot, probably the other people haven't either. And and we've beaten some really good teams, and. We, you know, and I, I think it's an interesting thing to do to change up on the game. We had several listeners submit questions about the Jordan rules. Why don't mm-hmm. you take us through that? Well, they have to buy my book. No, <laughs> no, no. I, I think the the best thing about the Jordan rules is that, um, you know, 
when I gave uh, Michael a copy when I was coaching his two boys at UCF and uh, Marcus and Jeffrey, and I, I wrote a book called Chuck Daly Coaching You after Chuck passed. And uh, there's a section in there about the Jordan rules. So we finished a two-hour practice, and he comes to my office and says, son of a bitch, Jordan rules. He said, <laughs> he said the effing Jordan rules were you had Mahorn, Lambeer, and, those, and Rodman knocked me on my ass. Those were the Jordan rules. But that was not true, Mike. Uh, so the Jordan rules were designed mainly by our players. Isaiah Thomas was a big influence, Bill Lambeer. Uh, and basically what we did was we said there's four situations where Michael was getting the ball when Doug Collins was the head coach. One was on either wing, the top of the key, in the low post. He was a terrific post-up player. And he played a, a little pick and roll. And so what we said is very simply, if Mike come, Michael comes off a pick and roll, no matter where it is, we're going to trap him aggressively. If Michael gets the ball in the post, we're going to trap him from the top. doesn't matter who's at the top. We don't care if we're leaving B.J. Armstrong, you know, a Steve Kerr. You know, it doesn't matter. We're going to, you know, they had, they always had really, really good, uh, you know, Craig Hodges was a f another three-point shooter winner. Um, we didn't care who we were going to leave because we just wanted him to give it up. The thing, And then if Michael had the ball on either wing, we wanted to force him to the middle because at least we wanted him to drive there, and the nearest player, whether it was a point guard or a center, was going to come and go into a double team on him. If he had the ball at the top of the key, even though Michael could go equally right or left, we wanted to force him left so that he would. we would at least know which way he was going. What we banked on was that we thought he, and he was, so unselfish that he would give the ball up to the open man, and he did it. The problem for them was they had guys that, for the moment, it was too big. They were missing wide open shot after wide open shot. So it was something that, you know, Chuck Daly didn't believe it would work. He told our players it wouldn't work, but it was Chuck's way of getting accountability uh, to our guys, saying this is no way this is going to work. He's going to kill us. And they were determined now to show their coach was wrong. And it was phenomenal for us. And then it worked a little bit the following year with Phil Jackson when he took over. But eventually, whether we did it with Phil, we did it with Kobe Bryant out with the Lakers when Phil was coaching there. Um, the spacing in the triangle uh, was too difficult to double team. Mm -hmm. you know. But it, it, it was fun. You know, My friend Sam Smith, the great writer for the Chicago Tribune, uh, actually wrote a book called Jordan Rules, a little play on it uh, called Jordan Rules. I didn't get a dime for that either, but but uh, it was fun. But uh, And it was the way we were able to get to the finals to win our uh, first championship. Mm. We're going a little off script here, but I'm curious now, outside of Jordan, who were some of the tougher players that you had to game plan for? Uh, Carl Malone, incredible uh, low post player. Uh, you know, Rick Mahorn could guard anyone one-on-one -on -one. Rodman could guard anyone Sally would really good and I would say to those guys every game when we would go through our scout I'd say hey uh tonight's player doesn't matter who how do you guys want to play him do you want to double team or you want to play him straight up Patrick Ewing etc and uh Mahorn never wanted to double team anyone and then uh and when and when I asked him about Carl I said what do you want to do 
And as only Rick Mahorn can say, you double team that MF as soon as he gets <laughs> off the bus, you know. And that's uh, and that was and that was accurate because he was so good and he he could draw ten to fifteen foul shots a game. That's how good he was. What about any coaches? Same thing. Like, who was it that for you when you looked across the other sideline? You said, "Okay, I've got a little chess match on my." Or maybe you just enjoyed it. No, I mean it was it was a golden era of coaching in the league, and uh, and I really really enjoyed it. I mean, from you know Lenny Wilkins, you know, I mean the icons that I was able to coach against when I first came in the league, the great Red Holzman or the Knicks. When the last time the Knicks ever won a championship with Willis Reed, Wal Frazier. He's coaching the Knicks. I mean, as a kid, I'm like, this guy, he's at the end of his career, but what a thrill to be coaching against him. And then, uh, you know, Pat Riley, you know, when he when he started to coach and then he just kept developing into a fantastic coach in L.A. and then when he went to New York and then later to Miami. So we always had great rivalries and Chuck and he were fabulous friends. And it was fun to coach against those guys. The great Jack Ramsey was a incredible coach that ran great offense uh so i'd love coaching against him people don't know much about cotton fitzsimmons who was the coach of the phoenix suns and before that the kansas city kings and he was just such a good coach and you know i mean ub brown he's the man that brought me into the nba but then i later coached against him when he was with the knicks and stuff and uh and mike fratello who again Mike and I worked together in Atlanta, and then I left him to go to Detroit, but to get coach against him, phenomenal coach. Bill Fitch, who coached uh, Larry Bird, you know, in 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 Boston, you know, and you know his rookie year to championships and stuff, was an incredible coach. Casey Jones had all that talent in Boston, and all he did was win. <laughs> I mean, he, he was fantastic. Don Nelson, one of the most innovative coaches we've ever had in Milwaukee. And he did some amazing things, and then he would, and he had Bob Lanier and big players. Then all of a sudden, he goes out to Golden State, and he has all these little guys, you know, and uh, Run DMC is what they were called, you know, and it, and it was an incredible team. He literally Zach put on a team. The tallest player was six foot five, wow. and playing in in the league when it was when people played two big guys. And now, you know, you're trying to run around, and we had illegal defensive rules then, and this guy's making you look like a fool because he, he really could isolate the court on you and stuff. And he was one of those guys that he switched before anyone else was switching on everything. Uh, George Carl was an amazing coach. When he came to Seattle, uh, George had a great, great defensive system, and uh, he was really amazing coach to go against. But that was the thing. The coaching, it was a lot more half-court basketball. But, boy, I'll tell you what, the scouts were incredible to prepare for. And, uh, you know, and you know, I coached against, uh, when I first came into the league, Billy Cunningham, a Hall of Fame player, was the coach of Philadelphia. And he had this assistant by the name of Chuck Daly. You know, it was just coming from college into the pros. So it, it's really, it was endless, you know. And then, at, you know, at the end, uh, you know, uh, uh, when I was coaching in the league and stuff, you know, you would, do, you know, the thing that was so cool was the coaching against those guys is one thing, but the players you were trying to defend, you know. So I'm one of the few guys that actually had to prepare to stop Michael Jordan, Grant Hill, uh, Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. 
I mean, those that that's that's um, that's you know, I was going to say that's Mount Everest, <laughs> but whatever the hell that place is, you know, <laughs> that is that is that is. It seemed like Mount Everest some nights, you know, when it got sixty on you, you say, "Oh boy," you know. And uh, but you know the iconic guys that you you prepared against, and uh, you know, and Barkley, Barkley in his prime was just incredible. I remember once I was coaching the Eastern All Stars when Michael was MVP in 1988 in Chicago, and and uh, all of a sudden uh, we got Dominique Wilkins, Michael Jordan. We have a great team, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, I'm my job at coaching the All Star team was to keep the minutes of the guys were playing and I kept saying to Fratello, I kept saying, Mike, we got to give Barkley more time. He's not getting enough minutes. And Mike wants to win because we got a little more money when we won. And so he's saying, you know, this game's close. We got a chance to win. I said, Barkley's got eight minutes, you know, and and he, don't worry about it. He just wants to win. (laughs) We, we win the game. Old Barkley's pissed off, boy. (laughs) And uh, this is a Sunday afternoon. And, you know, Mike's all happy and everything. And uh, Tuesday night at the Omni in beautiful Atlanta, Georgia, the game is Philadelphia 76ers against the Atlanta Hawks. Charles Barkley went for 52 against Mike Fratello. And during the second half, Fratello says to me, he says, damn, what are we going to do? I said, you should have played him on Sunday. That's what we should have done. I said, it's over now, baby. <laughs> so it was, those, that's, as, as, that's why the league was so much fun back then. Right, right. Well, and, and we both kind of agree, you know, there's it's still in good hands in terms of the oh. coaching now, for sure. So, so who are some of the coaches that you enjoy watching and learning from? Well, I, you know, I'm really excited, you know, that we had uh, – you know, some, you know, younger guys, the college guys come in, you know, like, you know, Brad came in and uh, Billy Donovan. These guys are terrific coaches. But Eric Spolstra, who, I mean, the thing about Eric is I've known him since he was a ball boy in Portland. His daddy was the president of the New Jersey Nets when Chuck and I were there. So I've known him since he was a college player. He served an incredible apprenticeship with Riles. And, and then when Pat you know, gave him an opportunity to coach. It's one of the great coaching front office marriages I've ever seen in the league. He is so humble. He's so bright. And his teams play so good. And I, I think he's he, he can coach as long as he wants in this league. And then I think he'll probably take over the team when, when Pat decides to stop. But he's fantastic. Uh, the thing I love about the coaches nowadays, you know, is that the, you know, is that they've, they've evolved. Uh, they've gone forward. They've created a new style of play uh, from what it was, you know, it was, we, we all play to the rules we have. And so back then it was physicality at its finest, <laughs> you know, it was smash mouth basketball. And now it evolved into and a more open game. Uh, analytics has come in, and you know now there's so much three point shooting. Uh, you can play any defense you want. Uh, so I think the the coaches now, uh, you know whoever is coaching, whether it's Steve Clifford or, or Stan Van Gundy, or they've really adjusted to the rules. They've adapted. Uh, to put their teams in a great position to win. And I think that's it. You know, that is what is really good in that we see different styles. And I've always thought that, you know, different styles based on your talent 
make for a really good league. And we have some really great offensive guys. And, and you know, just because you don't make it with one team in the league as a coach, all of a sudden, like Frank Vogel, he does a great job at Indiana, goes to the Magic, which I thought was a great hire. And then all of a sudden, it just doesn't work out for him. He goes to the Lakers. And you know what? Perfect guy. Perfect guy. Did an incredible job. And so, you know, and, and that happens often. And so sometimes you just need a new voice or something else and uh, or your style of play. He, I remember he walked in there last year and said, hey, we're going to emphasize defense. And you know what? That was music to LeBron's ears. And he had Anthony Davis who could really, really defend also. And it worked out great. And so I like watching that happen. And, uh, and I, I'm excited to see this, I think, is going to be a very unique season because we're going to start on the 22nd and we've just finished in October. I don't know what it's going to look like. I, we're going to be playing during a raging pandemic. I don't have any clue what's going to happen, nor does anyone else, but I'm excited to see. All right. All right. We, we got we to gotta pay some bills, so let's okay. take a quick commercial break. I, I thought I paid them all. Okay. We'll, we'll be right back <laughs> after this quick timeout. Hi, this is Brendan Sir. I'm talking to coaches, PE teachers, ADs, and camp directors because I'm so excited to announce our newest Coaching You podcast partnership with my friends from 360 Hoops. What if I told you that I've witnessed the most innovative game, training, and exercise for kids that I've seen in decades? 360 Hoops takes up less space than traditional basketball and allows for more players to get involved in developing their basketball fundamentals. The three-sided basket is attached to wheels for easy transportation and can adjust from 7 to 10 feet. The uses are endless, from elementary and middle school recess to physical education class that can also be used for team practice and skill development training for teams with players of all ages. For more information, visit www.play360hoops.com. To learn more about this new innovative product, make sure you mention Coaching You for a 10% discount. Prepare like the pros with the new FastDraw. FastDraw is the number one affordable coaching tool used by pro and high school level teams worldwide. With FastDraw, you can save your plays and playbooks digitally, attach video and share with other coaches and your players in seconds. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching content resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 8,000 free plays and drills from their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Don't forget to use promo code CU10, that is CU10, to receive 10% off your next fast model purchase. All right, Zach, what do we got going now? What's well, next? Well, well, you'll like this because somebody wanted to know about your why. Ooh. And they asked when you decided you wanted to get into coaching. I decided I wanted to be a coach my sophomore year of high school when I had this new high school coach by the name of Yubi Brown. That was my high school coach. And he was such an incredible teacher in our school. He taught business law. He was the best teacher in a very big high school, you know, 2,000 students, three grades. Uh, and he also coached our football team as a defense coordinator. He coached basketball, obviously. And he was just an incredible baseball coach for 
uh, a state championship team in football and basketball and baseball. And and the thing about Yubi uh, later on, you know, when he when he became uh, when he was a coach at the Hawks, and I was with him, is Ted Turner, our great owner, owned the Atlanta Braves also, and he literally came and said to Yubi, "You're going to be the coach of the Braves." We just finished the NBA playoffs. Wow. He said, I'm firing this guy tomorrow, and you're going to be the manager. And Yubi said, let's go. Let's go. And uh, the commissioner of baseball at the time was a fellow by the name of Bowie Kuhn, who was a very famous uh, commissioner. And he said, no way. We're not allowing this. He thought it was like a joke. Yubi would have been one of the great baseball managers of all time. He was that good. I mean, legendary. He, 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 and I think he liked baseball more than even basketball. Well, I should say they better not offer the Cubs job to Matt Painter. He'll probably take it tomorrow. <laughs> oh, he would. He wouldn't. He'd probably be pretty damn good for too. sure. For sure. <laughs> but but Yubi, uh, he was such a strong influence, and as and that's why I'm I, I'm in love with high school teachers and coaches because they are such an impactful. Uh, they can be so influential and impactful in young people's lives, and he was on mine. And my mom was a high school teacher in history, and and so she knew him and stuff. And I just said, Mom, I want to be just like Coach Brown. I want to be a high school coach. I want to be a high school teacher. And I went to school to train for that. And uh, unfortunately, as my mom told me before she passed a few years ago at 93, she said, you've, you've done good. You've been a good boy, but you've never did what we sent you to college for. You never coached high school ball. So you have disappointed your father. And I said, Mama, coach, I've been in the NBA for 40 years. <laughs> that didn't matter, you know. So, but, you know, she, you know, that, that was my plan, to be a high school coach for my whole career. And I would have been thrilled because that's what I wanted to do. Right. Now, now fast forward, you've coached in, uh, I don't know, how many games? Oh, about 4,000. 4,000 <laughs> games. Uh, you know, we would play minimum of 100 games a year. Uh, in in the NBA, sometimes up to 120 with playoffs and stuff, and uh, you know, but it moves so fast the NBA season. So, you know, until someone was, I, I remember interviewing food guy that you and I work for and love, Johnny Jones at LSU, and I remember Johnny and I didn't know each other before I talked to him really at length, and he said, Brendan, uh, one of the parts of being a college coach is you have to do a scout. Are are you okay to do that? And I said, I said, Johnny, I've done fifteen hundred scouts in the NBA in a row, fifteen straight years, a hundred scouts a year. I did every one. We didn't divide it up like we do now. I did every scout for the entire. I said, I think I can handle it. He goes, Okay, good. There we go. <laughs> and that was uh, that was the way we did it. Then we believed in having a master teacher and coach for all of our scouts. Mike Fratello did it prior for me doing it, and. Stan Van Gundy and you know, did it for Pat Riley and stuff like that. That was just the way we did it. Now we've kind of shared it and you know divided it up for different people, not knocking it at all, but it was just a different time then. What we did, we also only had a couple of assistants on our staff in the pros. We had, when I coached the Pistons, we only had two assistants, or the Hawks. We had two, it was Brendan Malone and myself and Mike Malone's daddy. And uh, when I was, you know, when I was with the Hawks, it was Hubie's the head coach and Mike Fratello and I had assistants. So it wasn't like we had a lot of labor to do it, and Mike did them all then. Wow. Yeah, so it was kind of cool, you know. Do you have any games or maybe some series that stood out? Yeah, uh, well, uh, in, in playoff basketball, uh, when I was with the Hawks, the best game, I think, of you know 4,000 games, I, a lot of games are great. But the best game I think I ever got a chance to be part of was 
a game seven, Boston versus Atlanta, Bird versus Dominique. And I think Dominique had 49 and Bird had 48. And we lost by two points. And like and it was like 128 to 126 in regulation, no overtime. And uh, the best fourth quarter of basketball I've ever seen by two superstars. And that was just incredible to watch back and forth, back and forth. And, and you know, and to, and to be involved in that with the best players playing at such a high level was incredible. You know, throughout your career, you've coached with several Hall of Fame head coaches. So, so what are some of the things that have stood out that you've learned from them throughout your career? Well, I started off coaching when I was 21 years old for the Hall of Famer, 14 as he would tell me, 14-time Hall of Famer Dick Vitale. Uh, going into 15th, another one he's being named to. He's incredible. And he earned every one. Every one of them. And, you know, he, he's absolutely, he, he taught me how it really wasn't what you knew. It was how the passion you had. His, he's 84. The passion and enthusiasm he has now, can you imagine when he was in his mid-30s when I was working with him in the University of Detroit? He was just an incredible guy to be with, and he gave me my foundation, gave me my start for that. Uh, you know, as you know, we went and visited him recently, and just to be around Dick is just, he's so his enthusiasm is just contagious, and I love him for giving me the chance and of doing that, and, uh, and, and I love what he is doing now in his life of really dedicating himself to raising money for pediatric cancer and the V Foundation. It's incredible. You know, and he's taken ESPN to to make it college basketball. He has just been just the iconic figure that has just brought it to another level. He has. And, and, you know, that's the one thing I'll never forget. You know, people, you know, they like to take shots at him on Twitter. Sure. Right. So, but the one image I'll never be able to get out of my head is when we went to his house. And obviously he opened it up, was so gracious. But then he sits in his garage after we wrap up with him for what? I don't know hours lord knows how long it was a garage full of books yep that he was opening up and he was autographing every single one and you're like dick you're gonna sign every one of those books he said yep he said how much are you getting for that nothing not a dime nothing yeah and so the other day uh you know i was uh texting and tweeting back and forth with him and he says get a book for christmas he's got a new book out called the lost season about last season how we had all these great teams like dayton and them have a chance to win the national championship and the season was lost with the pandemic and he gives every dime to cancer yep. and he signs he's in his garage he's, not signing, signing. he's personalizing with yeah. a note of whatever you want yeah. and you know just to help the cause i love it Maybe. and that's what makes him special but i went from him to ub brown uh, you know, and then, you know, to Chuck Daly, uh, to Lenny Wilkins, Isaiah Thomas, Mike Fratello. I mean, uh, you know, and that, and that's just at the professional level, you know, and, uh, then, you know, at the collegiate level, you know, I got to work, you know, besides Dick, I got to work, of course, um, you know, for, you know, Johnny Jones and also, you know, you know, just for Donnie Jones, Jones brothers, I call them, you know, and just, just two great guys. And Johnny, I love him to death. And, uh, and, you know, and, and Donnie is one of the really great coaches in, in college basketball, but more importantly, one of the greatest people in college basketball, a great leader of young people. There was also several very, very talented assistants on those staffs as well. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think about uh, you know when we went, uh, when we went to 
the Hawks, Mike Fratello. And then uh, when we went to Detroit, Brendan Malone. And then, of course, Chuck and I uh, went to New Jersey. We went to take over the Nets, which were kind of a fledgling team. Uh, Pat Riley had moved across the river to the Knicks. And uh, and so we put together a little coaching staff of the great Paul Silas, Stephen Silas's daddy. Stephen was a high school player at the time. Paul Silas was a Hall of Fame player, but he was a Hall of Fame man and a terrific coach who was working for Riley. He came and joined us. And then there was a kid that was just going to start thinking about coaching that you know was out of work. And literally, while Chuck is meeting with our owners in New Jersey, I'm talking to him, and that was a young man by the name of Rick Carlisle right. who became, you know, we just broke, you know, broke him into coaching. And uh, literally this week, when they were deciding what they were going to wear this season in the NBA, since they're not going to wear suits, Rick Carlisle said, "Chuck, please forgive me." for not having these guys wear suits. I didn't vote for it. He he voted because Chuck said, you know, had one of the great sayings, Zach, he said, nobody looks bad in a blue suit. It was one of my favorite sayings, you know, no matter, you know, it didn't matter, you know, and, and so they're going to be wearing polos and, you know, stuff, business casual, they're calling it uh, nothing. Chuck would not have coached this year. He would have sat out the year if he had to wear casual clothes. Nothing, nothing but great suit. Oh, and if the restaurants were closed for the dinners the night before, it would have been a wrap. <laughs> oh, I know. That was the best part of working for him. We had a deal that I would buy breakfast and he would buy the lunches and dinners. It was one of the great deals of all time. <laughs> so that's where it started with me yeah. and you then. Okay. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, he, he's let me get breakfast, yeah, which, by a- the way, I'm going to tell on him a little bit here. All right. This man talks servant leadership. All right. I go to his other company headquarters, Chick-fil-A, this morning. <laughs> All right, and I'm getting me a spicy biscuit. Up out of nowhere, I get the alert on your phone doing your curbside pickup. A, a, a Chick-fil-A team member will be on its way shortly with your order. I get happy, and I look up. That team member is none other than <laughs> Brendan Sir with a big smile behind his mask carrying my tray of food out. And I'm telling you, I didn't know how to act, and neither did the girl beside us in the car. She is dying. She don't know either one of us. She's just busting out laughing. And this man, I thought he was going to spill my food. He was laughing so hard. Could not wait to get up. And, and you know, it's it, it's the greatest restaurant in America, you know. And and uh, and and so because right now the restaurant's aren't open dining rooms aren't open you know you know if you're lucky enough to know someone you know you can walk up to the door and maybe get a refill so i went and brought you out a refill and you were gone already you know but uh yeah well we'll be sure and fill that out in the survey <laughs> oh, we'll get this, you on the survey yeah we wanted to make sure you'd handle that survey properly <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll get back we'll get back to the questions um our man mike he asked uh you've been part of two very historic teams with the bad boys and the dream team in 1992 uh, what was the separator for these teams and what made them so good? So why don't we start with the bad boys? Yeah, the bad boys, you know, I, I came on to them uh, in the beginning of January of 89. I came from the Hawks and uh, the assistant coach, Dick Versace, became the head coach in the Indiana Pacers. And I was becoming the general manager of the Hawks. And I left that position, came over uh, to go there. And, and it was like going over enemy lines because we were – not friends. The Pistons and the Hawks were not friends. We had bitter rivalries, and but to go over there and to go into that locker room and uh, to be around those guys. Uh, but it was an experience that was incredible because I worked with the mentally the toughest team I've ever been around. 
maybe the smartest team for sure I've ever been around. But there was a brotherhood with that group. These men were, uh, they were led by Isaiah Dumars, Vinnie Johnson, Lambeer. Uh, and, and then, you know, we had the two best defensive players in the world and Dennis Rodman and Joe Dumars on the team. And then, you know, just the master coach of master coaches in Chuck Daly, who I always joke about, you know, I had Yubi Brown, Mike Fratello to teach me about the NBA, and then Chuck gave me my PhD because every day being with him, can you imagine just being on, we were the first team to have a charter plane. So we were flying around for a whole year before anyone else had one. And so we would, you know, you get this alone time after a game when your your mind is racing and this guy's just oozing out basketball and life philosophy to you it was like nothing i'd ever experienced so it was i went there with a un, un, i was unconsciously competent zach of knowing that i was going there with a growth mindset i was open-minded to learn as opposed to going there saying hey i know a ton because i work for these great coaches but i went there and all of a sudden the next thing you know i'm adopting all of his philosophy without even trying to that's how brilliant he was. And he was not trying to be manipulative. He was. He tried to take and borrow things from that I was teaching him that UB and Mike taught. And it was just incredible, uh, the collaboration that we had. And uh, it was an amazing team. And Isaiah is the one that really formed a foundation of, you know, I, I think I literally uh, tweeted it yesterday about, you know, he taught me. I walked in and the first day I said to him, okay, what, what are our goals? And he said, and he looked at me like, he said, really simple. He said, win the game we're playing that night and win a championship. Like there's nothing else. That's it. And I'll tell you what, it simplified things, but we were good enough to do it. But we weren't the best team in the league. Uh, Cleveland was better than us. The Lakers were better than us. And, you know, but to get through that was absolutely incredible to do, but he's the one that, you know, and I always say that when you work with great players, smart players like that, they taught me way more than I ever taught them. Right. I really believe that. And what about the dream team? Dream team was not the, even though it was iconic, we won every game by 47 points, average winning margin. Um, and the greatest team ever put together it wasn't. It wasn't the greatest team ever put together. It was a historical team an iconic team because we turn basketball worldwide on its head because when we're playing in the olympics it's three billion people watching us play and all of a sudden these players from around the world now can dream about playing in the nba even though they're getting their ass kicked in these olympics they just see that these guys they want to play they want to be like them and now i'm so proud that 25 percent of the nba is international players but the greatest team Besides, not not the Pistons or anything like that. The greatest team I ever was coached was, frankly, you know, either the '88 All Star team, but by far the 1990 All Star team in Miami, which Chuck and I and Brendan Malone coached, and uh, we had four Piston players on a 12 man All Star team. That's how good we were, and you know, we won the championship that year. But we had Dumars and Isaiah. Rodman and Lambeer, all on the freaking all-star team. But the other guys on the team are the front line of Boston Celtics. Bird, who is in his prime, 
when he was on the dream team, he couldn't play anymore. He was hurt. And so he could he had nothing left. His elbow would, couldn't even shoot the ball. So you had Bird, McHale, who was the best back to the basket player maybe I've ever seen at the forward position as far as moves. Carl Malone was just an incredible force. But McHale had the whole package, and he was so tall. And Robert Parrish, the chief, was just an incredible athlete and player. And then we had Jordan and Pippen, the great Reggie Miller, Barkley. I mean, it was like, wow. And, man, did they ever play. They put on a show in that All-Star game. You know, I remember, I remember, uh, I can remember. This is scary right now. We're talking about 30 years ago. And we and the game's in February. And I remember in the locker room before the game, we gave them like three plays that they could run if they needed to run a play. But I'll never forget Larry Bird said to the team, Chuck would say, anyone have anything else they want to add? Larry Bird said what I, I hope I don't blow it, Zach. He said maybe one of the most important things I've ever heard in coaching. He said, hey, guys, don't go looking for a shot, but don't pass one up when you have it. If you think about it, it's really one of the best things that you ever heard. So many guys will go, you know, dribble the ball like, you know, and then all of a sudden launch a shot. But this guy, don't go looking for one because the team was so good. But if if one a shot comes to you, take it. Mm. And I thought it was it was brilliance, you know, uh, by that. But that was that was a that was an incredible team that I thought. And you know, the dream team, unfortunately, Stockton was on the team over Isaiah. And John is a great player, but he wasn't Isaiah Thomas. Mm. Then he broke his leg, and they would, uh, didn't replace Isaiah with him. Uh, and then Bird, of course, was hurt, and we had only 11 players. Christian Leitner was the college player. We had to have one college player. Chuck and I were wondering why it's this kid this kid from LSU, Shaquille O'Neal, not on the team. But Coach K had a little influence with the committee. Just a little. Just a little. But that was before coaches had any input. Now, when Coach K became the head coach, he had uh, he and Jerry Colangelo picked a team. They also started with a thirty-man team and whittled down to twelve. So it's done so well now. But uh, those were great experiences. You know, you're mentioning all these greats as we're talking. Um, we're we're going to go ahead and skip to another question someone sent in. They want to know who your start all time NBA starting five, or or maybe as you said earlier, your Mount Everest, right? <laughs> yeah, not, not the Mount Rushmore, yeah, a little Mount Everest. It might be the, the Rocky Mountains because there's so many guys want to put on there. <laughs> but you know, I I think of the players that I didn't coach. Um, I, I just uh, I think you know the the best guys that I I saw, you know, were I, I thought you know. Jordan, obviously, was absolutely incredible. Jabbar, you know, Kareem was just mm. amazing. Uh, you know, Barkley was right there. I'm going to put 10-man team. I ain't putting five. Uh, Barkley, Ewing, um, you know, I thought you know, Tim Duncan, David Robinson. I mean, those guys were just absolutely incredible to go through. Uh, Kobe, LeBron, um, Pippen was really, really good, uh, and he he played great. But there were so many. But I'm going to say also, I coached him, but then I coached against him. Was Dominique Wilkins? Dominique Wilkins and Michael Jordan were like at, at one time they were they were the two best I thought 
athletes in the league. You know, they when they performed against each other, you couldn't tell which guy was the best. It, one game it would be Dominique, next game it would be Jordan, but they always showed out and played. And, of course, Bird was incredible. I mean, and then, you know, I mean, Bird once, uh, you know, uh, got 60 against us when I was with the Hawks in New Orleans, and once a year I see the... Uh, I see the footage on, a, on on something. Our whole bench, you know, we fouled him on a three point shot to make his sixtieth point. But the funny thing was, we were headed to the lottery that year to try to get Ewing, and uh, so I would leave the team and go scout colleges because we didn't have any staff. And then I would come, fly back to New Orleans. We played ten or twelve home games in New Orleans from Atlanta because we didn't draw back then. So we played these games at the University of New Orleans. And so I fly back in, and we'd stay at the Hyatt Superdome. And I remember there was a wonderful guy that was the bellman, and he'd say, Coach, good luck tonight. You know, it always welcomed me when I checked in. And then he said, Coach, we're going to win one tonight. I said, why? He said, they carried Larry Bird in here at 4 in the morning. He was so drunk. He, You're going to beat him tonight, Coach. I said, all right, you know. He got 60 on us. <laughs> that night, that's all I know. He got 60 on us. You know, so it was it was just a neat league. But you know what? I'm probably leaving out 20 guys. Dan Issel was incredible. I mean, the thing is, I you know, I got the Gus Williams was one of the fastest guards in the league. So I got to I got to see guys from 79 all the way almost to 2010. That's a long stretch, I mean, of decades, like five decades of, of different guys. And it was amazing, the, the guys the guys I'm, that I coached, Dominique for sure. You know, he was absolutely incredible. Um, Isaiah, Joe, and Vinnie Johnson were just an incredible guard tandem. Uh, then I had Derek Coleman, one of the greatest power forwards in the league in New Jersey, Kenny Anderson was as as good a little point guard as you could have. Orlando, I had Penny Hardaway. Toronto, I had Marcus Camby and Damon Stoudemire. Uh, You know, and then in New York, I had Marbury and stuff. And I've really been lucky to have some phenomenal guys at at the six teams I was able to coach. But well, well, let's stay there because that was one thing. Several questions come in a lot about a lot of your former players. So why don't we just do a little rapid fire? Sure. Like we just say one of the names that someone mentioned, and you just kind of give one of the first thing that comes to mind. So let's start off Joe Dumars, who I think you were speaking of. Class, class personified, humble, and business all the time. Dominique. The human highlight film probably doesn't do him justice. He's the most entertaining player I've ever coached. Really? By far. Doc Rivers. He was when he was a rookie at twenty years of age, he was the leader of our team and we were a fifty plus win team. That's how strong he just had this born leadership within him. Rick Mahorn. My brother, my protector. He's uh He's the toughest guy I've ever been around, but also one of the kindest. What about DC? Derek Coleman. Derek, uh, he he had the talent to be an absolute first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, when we had him in New Jersey, uh, um, Carl Malone, he was 21, 22 years old. He was a baby in the league. Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, power forwards, one and two in the NBA. 
DC was third. He didn't make the all-star team because people, you know, we, I only had him two years. Uh, didn't make the all-star team. And uh, he, frankly, coaches didn't vote him on because he wasn't, he, wasn't he wasn't a warm, fuzzy guy. He didn't politic. So the coaches didn't vote him on. Is the dress code story, is that true? That, that's after us. Okay. Yeah, that's after us. But is it true? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you that. So what happened with DC was uh, he didn't make the all-star team, and it's February, and uh, he's really pissed. And I said, hey, um, you know what? You got 22 games to prove everyone in this effing league they're wrong. He played so good in those last 22 games, he didn't – Make the 12-man all-star team in the East, 12 men in the West, that's 24 players. But he made second-team all-NBA. <laughs> he became one of the 10 best players in the league the way he played. So that's why I'm really proud about him. Wow. And after Chuck and I left, I thought I was going to become the head coach. And uh, I didn't get it. And they gave it to Butch Beard, and, uh, who was not on our staff. They didn't give it to Carlisle, Paul Silas, or myself, all three of us have decided whichever one gets it, we'll stay with the other guys. None of us get it, we all leave. And so, uh, so they, you know, Willis Reed and, and Butch Beard, they have a dress code. And they say, you know, this is the way you got to dress on the plane. And, and if you don't, you're going to be fined, whatever it was, uh, you know, $100, $200, you know, because guys weren't making that kind of money that they make now. And so, Derek Coleman comes to the, what I understand comes with a nice, nice uh, British Knights. That was his the shoe he endorsed. BK, which is my son's initials. He, uh, he 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 endorsed that. He wore a nice BK, you know, sweatsuit. And they said uh, you're fine. He said how much? Whatever they said, hundred, two hundred dollars. And he added up the number of trips. He wrote him a check and said, here you go, mother. <laughs> and I loved it. And I, that was what I loved about Derek. He was great. What about Penny Hardaway? Penny's, uh, Penny is such a great guy. I'm so, I'm so thrilled. Um, he was always, uh, he was a, he was an amazing talent, a great player. Unfortunately, he got some knee injuries and stuff. But I got to coach him in Orlando. Then later, as he ended his career with the Knicks. But what I loved is his, he, had, he had a genius basketball IQ. But what I'm really proud of Penny is how much he loved kids and how much he invested post-career with kids in Memphis, his hometown, and how he, you know, really you know, started a fantastic AAU program. And when I later came back into college coaching at LSU, I couldn't, when I went to see him, I couldn't wait to talk to him because here's my guy that's coaching. And, you know, they say, well, you can't go up and talk to him. He's, it breaks the rules. And so, but I would, I couldn't wait to, I was so proud of him. And, and then he would, then one of his friends passed and he had to become a high school coach to take over. And he just did it so well. And then, you know, to take the Memphis job, his alma mater, I think it's great. One of the really great, terrible injustices last year was to hit him and, and Memphis on probation because he lent a kid that played on his AAU team money when he had no intent to ever be a college coach because he was a booster. And, and the irony of that is, and I'll debate this with any NCAA person, is we would love every kid that ever played in college any sport to donate to their university, you know, 
be great. And here's a kid that did. And then later on, who knew he was ever going to be? He's penalized for something he did as a high school guy, not as a college coach. And I thought it was just terrible. And that's when the rules, unfortunately, don't make sense. Dennis Rodman. Uh, I love that guy. He he so had the highest one of the highest basketball IQs of all time. You know, Zach, you you knew how to you know, and you still know you had to develop a scout where you could take apart every player and tell every strength or weakness of them. Dennis did that in his head. He knew every single player in the league. He could tell you everything he could do. You could ask him about. All 450 players in that league, and he could tell you everything about him. And that, that, that's total genius and everything. And he has no formal education, which even makes it even more impressive. But he's one of the kindest people ever. He, there's all kinds of stories about him when we had him in Detroit that literally he would give hundreds of dollars to homeless people. You know, I mean, just the guy just has an incredible heart, you know, and, and, and for that, I really appreciate him. Draws and Petrovic. Wow, um, you know, you know, Draws. You know, we lost him uh, after a year of coaching him in Jersey. Uh, what a competitor! Uh, the one of the hardest working players I've ever seen in the league uh, had had range that you know uh, Dame Lillard would be proud of, and Steph Curry. I mean, this guy could shoot from way back where the guys didn't shoot from. But the hours and stuff that he spent, and uh, and unfortunately, you know, um, his career was cut way too short. You know, uh, you know, I, I, you know, until you know, of course, Luka Doncic, you know, and Nowitzki and those kind of guys. This is this was the best player ever in Europe, you know, to come. And when we had the Olympics in '92, you know, Tony Kukoc who was a great player in Croatia. And Croatia and Serbia had these phenomenal teams, second, third, fourth best teams in the world. And these guys, Petrovic was the only guy that wasn't scared to play against the U.S. team. I think he had like 32 or 34 points, you know. And I was going to coach him the following year. And at that point, I said to Chuck, you know, this guy, this guy, we're going to be okay with this guy. And he was special, special. The only college player you had on this list, Ben Simmons. Wow, I, I often said the year we had him in, uh, you know, in L, at LSU, um, and the reason I came to LSU uh, was an opportunity to coach him uh, because I, I I wanted to see what it was like to coach what I thought was the best player in the country as a freshman, uh, coming in as a freshman, and uh, when I finished with him, I said to I said to all their NBA teams, but only the really the ones that mattered were really Philadelphia because he wasn't going to get to number two, was I just said, this is in no deference to, you know, LeBron, Kobe. Um, Kobe wasn't close. He wasn't ready to play in the NBA as a, as a high school kid. Uh, LeBron was way more ready than Kobe. Uh, but Ben Simmons was the most ready-made player ever to come into the NBA, in my opinion. That's a hell of a statement. I mean, that's 40 years of observing and drafts. He he was that advanced. Absolute basketball genius IQ. Uh, 
of physical talents, a point guard at 6'10 242 pounds as a freshman in college, fastest player in the court. I mean, this guy, there, you know, and everyone worries about his shooting. Why worry about something uh, shooting when the guy can get by anyone that's guarding him in the NBA, college, anywhere, and get to the basket? I mean, so, you know, it's like worrying about some baseball player can't hit a curve, but every time you throw him a fastball, he hits it out of the park. I mean, it was silly to even be worrying about that because we know Michael couldn't shoot when he came in. Magic couldn't shoot. Most of these guys, when they come in, are not good shooters, but over years, they develop it. He'll be fine. But I think now you'll see him take another step with Doc. And I think Doc had a great statement the other day. He said, I don't care if Ben ever makes a shot. All I know is he's one of the best players I've ever seen. And I think that's, that'll be the case. He's a special one and uh, blessed to have been associated with him. Last one, Isaiah Thomas. Wow. Uh, truly my brother. Um, he's... He's one of the most, I can say this, he's the most, he's the best player I've ever seen in the world, inch for inch, pound for pound. Uh, his IQ as a basketball player is genius. His competitive IQ is off the charts. He's the most competitive pe- person I've ever been around. Uh, and usually, you know, when you're, you know, good in sports or something, then you have a other flow. This guy is also one of the smartest human beings I've ever been around. Business-wise, he's brilliant. Academically, he's brilliant. You know, we've we've done businesses together. We've run teams together. We've run leagues together. I mean, the guy is something that is once in a, you know, he's such a rare person that we have. But uh, And he also has the charisma to just own, when he walks in, he owns the room. And, you know, he's an incredible broadcaster. Uh, you know, the guy has, you know, the whole package. But most importantly, you know, he's he's very kind. He loves his fellow man. Uh, you know, he, he's done so much for his home city of Chicago and trying to help them through some tough times with gangs and stuff like that. He can walk on in any shoes. That's what I love about him. He could be with President Obama. Or he can go down there with the gang members and straighten things out. He can go and negotiate with the best owners in the business, you know. Or he can go down there and he can he can talk to the players. But the thing I love about him is uh, he's a leader of men, uh, and he cares so much about what's going on in our country. For that, I am blessed to have ever been around him. Well, thank you for sharing all that, Brendan. We have made it to the end of our list. Well, I appreciate all all of our listeners and 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 the fun part about doing this is that the feedback that we get from our listeners and and shoot, I didn't even know till two years ago that people outside the U.S. could listen to our <laughs> podcast. You know, until one day, I, you know, we had a call from someone in you know some country and they said, "Yeah, we'd love your podcast." And I said, "Really? How the hell did they get it?" You know, I didn't know and. It's now crazy how many countries get it and all the people that we get. And, you know, the idea that, you know, our coaching you uh, has had such a great influence on coaches. That's what we're we're doing it for. We're trying to provide, I call it 
edutainment. You know, we're just trying to educate a little bit, entertain some. But, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, we're trying to grow the game and coaches around the world. And that, that's our purpose. And, and, and you know, and, and hopefully, you know, at the end of the pandemic, we can all get together and stuff. But in the meantime, you're going to, every week, you know, hopefully you'll get something that you really enjoy. And I know one thing, we really enjoy providing this for you guys. So thank you. Well, until next week, this is the coach, Brendan Seary.